there, there is a story. Um, <clears throat> there's a story that's attributed to the Rabbi Akiva, who was a first-century rabbi. And I am not familiar with his work, so I'm not sure if this story is is his story or not. But that's who it is attributed to. So, so Akiva was walking along one day. He was a deep philosopher. People, you know, respected his his thinking. And one day he was lost in thought, and he realized it was time to go home, so he started walking home. And um, somewhere along the way, because he was so deep in concentration, he uh, got turned around and went the wrong direction. He went to a place where he shouldn't be. And a Roman soldier um, started yelling at him. He said, he said, who are you? Why are you here? And um, Akiva thought about it for a few minutes, and then he said... How much do they pay you? And the soldier was kind of startled and he said, two drachmas a week, why does that matter? And Akiva said, I'll pay you four if you ask me those same questions every day. Who are you and why are you here? Those are good questions. Those are good questions. And it's easy for us to get so lost in our worldly um, activities that we forget those questions. We forget the answers to those questions. Maybe we've never really thought about those questions, who we are and why we're here. But sometimes we do. There's a, um, there's a, a researcher at the Fuller Youth Institute in California, Kara Powell, and she surveyed 1,200 teenagers, and she found out that the, the thing that was highest on their, their list of, of questions they had was, what difference can I make? It's essentially the same question. Why am I here? How can I make a difference in this world? They, they asked that question, and uh, it's not unique to them. Seventy years ago, um, Viktor Frankl, he was a psychologist who, was, um, who had been through the Nazi concentration camps, and after the after the war, he wrote his book *Man's Search for Meaning*, and it has um, it has been a bestseller ever since. And uh, the um, the Library of Congress says it's uh, one of the ten most influential books in America. People want to know what gives my life meaning. What difference can I make? Why am I here? And the, the Christian faith has an answer. The, the Christian faith, the, the answer to that is the idea of vocation. So vocation is the word, uh, that, or it's the fancy Latin word. It means calling. You can hear the word vocal in that, you know, vocation, vocal. And, and it means basically calling. It means that God has given you a particular calling. No matter what you do, you have a vocation in life. And um, uh, we're going to be looking at that because... Uh, in our lesson today, because this is a good passage to talk about vocation, and the reason is that is that Elijah, the prophet, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Elijah doesn't have a call story. That if we think about the the great prophets in the Old Testament and and the apostles, they have a call story. Um, the the Moses, he sees a burning bush. Uh, Samuel hears hears a voice in the night calling his name. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all have call stories. The Apostle Paul sees, uh, has, has, um, this encounter with God, uh, with Jesus 
on the road to Damascus. The, the different disciples, they were called from their, their jobs, their tax collecting booths and their, their fishing boats. They have a call story, but Elijah doesn't. As we saw last week, Elijah just shows up in Ahab's court and says there's not going to be any rain for a while. And I think that makes him a better, a better model for us because I don't know about you, but most people don't have that burning bush experience. They don't have the road to Damascus. Whatever sense of call they've got is more subtle. It's something maybe they don't even have words for it. If you ask them, they could say, I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel in my feeler that this is the right thing that I should be doing. And so we can learn a lot about vocation by looking at Elijah because he doesn't have that dramatic prophetic call that we sometimes see in the scriptures. So um, so what I want to do is look at this passage because, as I said, I think it, it teaches us a lot about vocation. So we're going to be looking at chapter 18 um, of the book, first book of Kings, and um, uh, it begins this way. It says, after many days, so many days... In, in the last chapter, um, Elijah was hiding. He, well, he's been hiding for quite a while. First he hid in the ravines near the Jordan River. And then last week we saw he, he crossed the, the land of Israel and went out to the Mediterranean coast where he's now been hiding in, in the home of a widow. And he's been providing for her miraculously with this, uh, a jar that doesn't run out. So, Many days now have gone by, and we, we hear that it is now the third year of the drought. So um, it is now finally that Elijah is told to quit hiding. So he hears the word of the Lord say, Go appear before Ahab. I will then send rain on the earth. So God tells him, You go talk to Ahab again and let him know that the rain is coming from me. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. But he's not there yet. So he's on his way to go appear before Ahab. But then we get some kind of backstory here. It says, now the famine had become especially bad in Samaria. Well, yes, after three years, we'd expect that. It says, Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of palace affairs. Now, Obadiah, who is Obadiah? There's a lot of Obadiahs in the Bible. It was a common name. It just means a servant of the Lord. Um, in fact, it's a popular name today in the Middle East because it's roughly equivalent. It's almost, you can even hear how it sounds almost the same as Abdallah. So you, you meet a lot of Muslims named Abdallah. And it's essentially the same word. Abd uh, means servant. So he's the servant of the Lord, Yahweh. So uh, Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of palace affairs. So uh, we don't, we don't um, uh, know exactly what that means, but it's somewhere between chief of staff. If you think of like the White House chief of staff, you don't get into the Oval Office unless this guy has approved you, and it's important in what the, the president's trying to do. Um, or maybe even higher than that, it may be more like prime minister. But it's, some, it's a big job. It's an important job. And we read that he has been using that. Op- that gives him opportunities because it says, Obadiah greatly feared the Lord. And when Jezebel killed the Lord's prophets, Obadiah took 100 of them and hid them 50 each in two caves, and he supplied them with food and water. So he had enough discretion, you know, he had enough um, uh, I don't know, discretionary budget, uh, funds, whatever whatever else made it possible, he was able to do this. He was able to hide these prophets that Jezebel was trying to kill. So 
it's an odd thing. Jezebel is a is a pagan. She's a polytheist. She worships many gods, um, and her her favorite god is Baal. And it's it's unusual that a polytheist would be trying to kill people who worship a different god. Usually, it's kind of you know whatever whatever you want. They may demand you worship their god too, but they usually don't care if you worship other ones. So th- this is probably a sign that either either one of two things have happened: either the the prophets keep showing up in in Ahab's palace and saying stop worshiping Baal. So maybe that's it, and she's just irritated at these prophets of the Lord. So maybe that's it, or maybe it's a sign that that uh, three years have been you know have been uh, taking place with no rain, and she thinks that Baal is angry. And if we don't get rid of these prophets of the Lord, then Baal's going to stay angry. Baal is a storm god. There won't ever be any more water. So maybe she's trying to kill them for that. But for whatever reason, she's trying to kill them. Obadiah is defying her. He's he's undermining her efforts to kill all of the Lord's prophets. So that's our introduction to Obadiah. And now we... We kind of move forward. That's our background. And now we read that Ahab said to Obadiah, Go throughout the land and check every spring of water and every brook. So they're looking for water. Why? Because it's been three years and everybody's hungry. And he said, but, but no, that's not why. Perhaps we can find some grass to keep our horses and mules alive. So we don't have to kill any of them. So, um, you know, if you ever have a king named Ahab, keep in mind he's more concerned about his horses and mules than about you. So, so he's looking for water somewhere in the land. He's hoping there's a stream that still has some water in it. There'll be grass there and they can, they can, um, uh, give their horses and mules, uh, they can keep them alive. So they divide up the land to search. They divided the land between themselves. Ahab went one way by himself and Ahab went and Obadiah went a different way by himself. So, while they're out searching, suddenly Elijah meets up with Obadiah. When Obadiah saw him, he fell on his face. My master, he said, are you Elijah? And Elijah says, I am. Go and say to your master, Elijah is here. So, he is on his way to Ahab and he bumps into Obadiah and says, hey, go tell Ahab that I'm on my way. And then we get this lengthy speech by Obadiah saying why that would be a bad idea. He says, um, Obadiah says, How have I sinned that you're handing me over, me, your servant, over to Ahab so he can kill me? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master Ahab hasn't looked for you. So he sent embassies to some of the surrounding countries, and he's made them swear Elijah's not here. He's desperate to find Elijah, because if he can just either, you know, force Elijah to change the weather or maybe kill Elijah so that Baal is happy. He wants he wants Elijah. And they could not find him. He's been hiding for three years. And now you're commanding me, go and say to your master, Elijah is here? Well, we know what's going to happen then. As soon as I leave you, the Lord's Spirit will carry you off to somewhere, wherever you've been hiding, maybe a whole new hiding place, and you'll be as lost as you've been for the last three years. I don't know where you're going to go, but I'm not interested in this project. He says, then I'll report to Ahab, but he won't be able to find you, and then he'll kill me. But your servant, he says, but me, your servant, has feared the Lord from my youth. 
Didn't you hear? Wasn't my master told what I did when Jezebel killed the Lord's prophets? I hid 100 of the Lord's prophets, 50 each in two caves. I also supplied them with food and water. But even after all that, you tell me, say to your master, Elijah is here, Ahab will kill me. So three times he says, Ahab's going to kill me. I don't like this idea. Why don't you just go on to Ahab yourself if you're going to, because I'm not sure I trust you. You could just disappear again. And Elijah reassures him. He says, as surely as the Lord of heavenly forces lives, the one I serve, I will appear before Ahab today. So he makes a promise. I will be there. He, he, he binds himself with his oath to God. I will be, I, I will meet with Ahab today. Now, we're going to look at, we're going to look at that meeting next week, the, the famous, uh, meeting between, uh, between Elijah and Ahab. But today I don't want, I don't want to race ahead because it's a long story, but, but I also want to answer this question about, about meaning, about purpose, about, about vocation, about why are we here? Because, because as I said, this is a good passage. What we can see here is, is that Elijah and Obadiah both have this have this um, uh, list of things they're doing? I mean, you can describe their story, but we never hear God give them um, a call. And in fact, all we ever see is Elijah. Um, Elijah uh, gets these periodic instructions, but he doesn't have a call story either. And Obadiah, as far as we know, he never does get any instructions from God. So, so. Um, before we do that, though, we need to look at what what the lesson is. So, so I mean, that that's what I believe the lesson is, or a lesson. But other people have said other things. In fact, um, in my studies, I found that there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking out there um, that I, I find kind of troublesome because because it boils down to is Obadiah timid, right? Obadiah is afraid that Ahab will find out he's a worshiper of the Lord. Well, he could probably figure that out because his name says, I'm a worshiper of the Lord. So Ahab would have to be pretty dense to miss that. But, but maybe he's afraid that he's been, you know, he'll be found out that I've been misappropriating funds to, to, uh, to undo the work that your, your wife is doing. I don't know. Maybe he is afraid, right? He's obviously afraid of getting killed. But, is that the lesson? Don't be afraid. You know, have more faith. God's going to take care of you. Well, we don't know if God takes care of him, right? Obadiah vanishes um, after verse sixteen, and we never see him again. There's, like I said, there's other Obadiahs in the Bible, but as far as we know, Obed, uh, Ahab does kill him. We don't know. So, so is the lesson that you know you should have more faith. God will take care of you. You know, maybe. He might, you know, God might have protected him. I mean, Ahab's going to be very busy shortly. He may have other things on his mind. But, but is that the lesson? I, I, I really don't think it is. Um, I mean, he's, he's hiding what he's doing. But Elijah's been hiding too. Elijah's been hiding for three years. Is Obadiah any more fearful than, than Elijah? And, and not only that, right? If, if you're afraid, like I said to the children, if you're afraid and you still do the right thing, isn't that, isn't that good? I mean, you know, it's easy to, well, it's easier to do the right thing when there's no penalty associated with it. So I'm not sure if I buy all the, 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 the commenters who say, well, yeah, Elijah, I mean, Obadiah should have just had more faith. I think that he actually demonstrates someone who is using, uh, who has a, 
who has a sense of calling. He has a vocation. Whether he's ever heard God specifically speak to him, he's taking his position. He's using what he has to do what is right. He's participating in the work God is doing with what he has. So what has he got? He's got this job. He's got a budget, whatever else he's got. And this is an example of vocation. He uses that position. And in this, in this, I think actually he's probably, uh, uses his vocation. He's a better example of vocation than Elijah is because Elijah at least gets these nudges from God every so often, but we don't hear anything like that about Obadiah. And I think that's what makes him an even better example than Elijah as an example of vocation. Because, because we have the same vocation. Again, you may not have had a, uh, uh, road to Damascus experience. I haven't had a road to Damascus experience. I've never, I've never had, you know, a burning bush experience. So, so the question is, is what, what is my calling? And the answer is that my calling is to participate in the work that God is doing. That's your calling. That's every Christian's calling. And, that means to use what we've got, use our position, use our gifts, use our skills, our aptitude, our, our experience. But it also means to use our imagination and our intelligence. That, that the, the, the will of God for us, the way we, the way we are called and participate in God's work isn't a, a long list of instructions like baking a cake. Well, I don't know. A list of instructions, maybe not that long, but, but it's not, it's not a set of instructions that says, you know, do this, 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 and this. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an open field in which we can use our different gifts to be, uh, to, to work on the things that God is doing, to participate in what God is doing. The theologian Karl Barth called it the freedom of obedience. That God, God has laid out a, a big idea, a big, a big project. And then we're free to use our gifts, our aptitudes, our, our Rolodex, our, you know, our phone address book, whatever, uh, to use, to use our influence over other people, to use our imagination, to use our intelligence and say, this is where I think God is calling me to participate in what He's doing. And as, as far as our text tells us, that is exactly what Obadiah is doing. Historically, the way that theologians have looked at the idea of vocation is they've said there's, there's three spheres. There's, there's kind of a nested set of spheres. And the first sphere is the family. That our, that our most central vocation is our family. And it's the idea that, that what we do first, our first vocation is to, is to be a participant in the work that God is doing in your family. And so some people, they, they, they say, well, I've got a, I've got a job that's you go nowhere job. I don't really like it. It's not fulfilling, but it pays the bills. It keeps a roof over my head. It puts food on the table. That could be that person's vocation. Some people have have the experience they're they're an at home mom, and people say, "Well, you've got uh, education. Why are you why are you wasting your gifts being an at home mom?" And for that person, they're saying, "No." I believe that this is what God is calling me to do. This is my vocation, to be an at-home mom, to take care of my children, or I would add, my grandchildren. So 
So that idea of the family as the, as the central place where the vocation is expressed, but outside of that is the church. And we, you know, there, there's lots of people with church vocations. I, I'm one of them. I have a very visible vocation. There's people who have a vocation in music, in technical arts. There's a lot of visible vocations in the, in the church. But there's also, you know, the, the invisible vocations, the, 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 the magic grass cutting fairies. <laughs> you know, some of you, some of you do that work. It doesn't just happen by magic. Um, there's a lot of things that, that happen because somebody actually comes in here and does it. Uh, for, for 11 years, communion has magically appeared every, Communion week, um, because of Alberta's work. There's a lot of, there's a lot of vocations where we participate in what God is doing, um, here. Uh, I see joy. Joy fills up the candles, right? There's a lot of people who do things in the church. What? Oh, okay. All right. Well, all right. You just take the credit. <laughs> well, you get handed the credit whether you take it or not. So, so um, Lunette does that. So so um, Lunette decorates things, and so there's a uh, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of um, less visible jobs in the church. Um, Kent has been in Gamble for the last what two weeks almost. Two and a half weeks. Yeah, so two and a half weeks in Gamble, helping that church with some of its its um, uh, uh, building problems. And I guess you're going back again. There's a lot of vocational opportunities in the church, and. Again, just like with a family, one of them is just supporting the church financially. So you could have a job where you don't even think about the church except when it comes time to write a check to the church. That could be a vocation. But the, the other vocation, the other, the outermost sphere of vocation is society at large. And the Christian idea of vocation is not just people who are church people, but everybody has a vocation. Whatever you do, whether, whether you are that at-home mom, or whether you are an engineer or a stockbroker or you work in a grocery store or a gas station, that job is your vocation because you keep society functioning and God wants society to function. So this idea of your vocation is to participate in what God is doing. Why are you here? What difference can you make? You can be working on the things of God in any vocation at all. There's a story some of you have heard, I'm, I'm sure. You know, today is Labor Day, right? There's a story. Sometimes it's used for, like, inspirational things in business meetings. Um, that's where I've heard it. It's this this traveler comes along. He sees three men working on a pile of rocks. They're, they're pounding on the rocks, trying to shape them or something. That He asks the first one, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm, I'm cutting stones. And he goes, okay, you clearly are. And then he goes to the second guy, he says, what are you doing? And the guy says, I am earning a living and putting food on the table. And he goes, okay, well, okay, somebody's paying you for this, that makes sense. And he goes to the third one, and the third one says, I am building a cathedral. That is, that is what Christians believe about vocation. And I, I wouldn't even distinguish between the second one and the third. Usually in a business meeting, the third one's the hero. But, but I would say... Putting food on the uh, on the table that is a vocation. Building a cathedral is a vocation. But to see what we do, not as as our work as opposed to you know the important stuff, but to see it as enabling the important stuff, as a contribution to the important stuff. Ultimately, to be a contribution to what God is doing. So it is Labor Day, and we all have vocations. So 
I want to encourage you, see your work that way, like the stonecutter who is building a cathedral, but also like the stonecutter who is paying the bills. See your work as a vocation, participating in what God is doing. Why are you here? What difference can you make? Where can you find meaning? In your vocation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in this world, um, food doesn't drop out of the skies. There's things that have to be done. There's, there's, sometimes it has to be done even though we know we will, we will be in trouble because of it. Lord, help us to have a sense of vocation that enables us to do our work, whether it's, whether it's boring or exciting, whether it's safe or dangerous. Help us to do the work that, that contributes to our families, our church, our society. Help us to see it not as distinct from our faith, but actually participating in the work you call us to, the work that you are doing to join you in that work. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.